turn power on, flip microphone on, make sure microphone is on, record time. I get in, I got in trouble on Christmas Eve. They thought I went too long. They blamed me completely. Did anybody's candle not just burn all the way to the... Yeah, that wasn't me singing those 95 verses of O Holy Night. I... I was pretty close to where I was supposed to be. Did I get away with it? No, I still got a beating. Okay, we're calling that 435. Going to do your thing there, Pat? Thank you, sir. Okay, here we go. December 27, 2009, lecture discussion number yay, final transition sermon, uh, which is a significant threshold for me, for us, for... For you to climb, obstacle to climb over, this uh, whole moving church deal has been fraught with travail, and we just keep struggling, it seems like, just more snares and traps to fall into, and we alternatively get caught in all kinds of things, spring-loaded snapping devices or pits with punji sticks, but every time we seem to crawl up out of the muck. We get rock slided back down to the bottom of the mountain, and it's been a trying time, but all things are better today. Do you know why all things are better today? Yeah, that's right. That's right. The platinum model, baby. The, <laughs> the platinum model double reversible dry erase board is here, and, it, and I don't even need to use it. I just need to know it's here. That's all. That's, that alone has made me just... And it's funny, because as I'm writing this, I know I have my platinum model double reverse board. And you can spin this... Oh, it'll go. It'll take half the drum set and launch it into the fourth or fifth row. I am really happy to have it. And like I said, it's a comfort. It's an emotional occasion for me. And I wanted to have... Uh, I was thinking flowers, at least, and floodlights and classical music. And then I really love those guys in those uniforms that, uh, you know, the, don't want to make fun of the class, the, the Catholics, but they run a really good uh, uh, buffet, uh, not buffet, uh, what am I trying to say? Lottery. Who are they? The Knights of Columbus. They look really cool. I wanted them. Swords and weird uniforms and all that. But uh, finally, though, we can get back to business, and that's a really good thing for me. I get away from these transition sermons, even though today is a little bit of one of those. How, how, is, uh, how am I coming through today? Everybody hear me pretty good? No muddles? No, not you, huh? Okay, but that's the excuse you use every week. Believe it or not, until we get those panels up, there are dead spots in this building. It's usually over here. More echo than usual? It is not the board. Yes, sir. <laughs> but, um, okay, we'll raise that up. But then, but then you won't be able to see the board. There is, how are you folks doing over here? Everything's good over there. How about the deep far back? We okay back in the very back? Andrew likes it. How about the left side? Doc? This is Doc. Good to see you guys. Um, okay, uh, it's just Mike. That chair, don't sit in that chair. But you won't leave it because you got an outside row and hit the door and everything. Grab something on the buffet table. Yeah. We will get those panels up. And when we do, that will fix a lot of this echo and stuff. And, and we're really close. A couple of weeks, maybe at the most. But finally, as I said, we can get back to the, to the job of finishing Zechariah 11 and Matthew 12 and Revelation 17 and 18. And that gets us to the Pharaoh and simultaneously continue what I like to call, as you know, biblical physics. All of that is going to happen now because we have... Did you leave Adina behind, Robin? Good for you. Nice, nice job. Okay. Okay. And you, did you leave her any food, or did you bring it all here? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> but we're going to get back where we belong, all because of this reversible feature. You see, and even though today I can't do it, like I said, I'll launch the drums. But Bill is trying to build me a little platform out here so I can move this out and manipulate the back there. And that, when that happens, that'll be wonderful. Plus, we're deciding that if they'll let us, we'll go ahead and raise the... Uh, the baptismal, 
bring it over the middle so we'll have six or seven thousand pounds of water and a trap door and electrical button. Okay, maybe that won't happen. But at least I've got this board and I'm happy about that. So we can at least uh, get Zechariah on one side and time dilation on the other. So let's get to it. Let's start connecting all these little segments that I've thrown around in our interval. And then how long has our interval, interval been? Do you know? It's been almost 50 days. We've had a 50-day uh, trial here since we left the last building. I know that's... That's not to be confused, uh, certainly not with the 133rd, I'm sorry, the 1335th day of Daniel 12, 11 through 12, which is, Blessed is he that waits and comes to the 1,305 and 30 days. That is called, and that's something very important that you need to know. Can you hear me when I turn around? Isn't that great? The 1335th day of Daniel 12. Blessed is he who gets there. you got to get there. Who gets there? Only people that go through the tribulation. If you go through the tribulation, you want to get to the 1335th day, or what's called also the 75-day interval. Most of you know this. I've done the 75-day interval hundreds and hundreds of times. I'll keep doing it hundreds and hundreds of times because it's very important to you. Everything occurs there. You see, right now, Christ is in which one of his uh, offices? He's no longer in his prophet office. That was when he was crucified. He is in his high priest office. At the, at the end of the 75th day, or during the 75-day interval, he is king, and as king. So you have the three offices of Christ, prophet, uh, high priest and king. He has done two of them, or two of them are almost concluded. He certainly will do the third and just do the math. But in that 75-day interval between the end of the tribulation and the beginning of the millennium, he does a lot of things. And one of the things he does is he removes the abomination that makes desolate from the Holy of Holies. He removes the Antichrist and the false prophet and casts them alive into the lake of fire. Now, what has he got to do to do that, to cast them alive? They're dead. He's got to resurrect them. And then he casts them alive. Why does he do that? But that he does in the 75-day interval. Why not cast them dead into the lake of fire? Makes no sense. You think it through. And they're dead now. They were the first killed in the battle campaign of Armageddon, by the way. Did they know they would be the first killed? I believe they did know. They expected to be the first killed. Who else expected them to be the first killed? Nobody else that was fighting on their side. That's one of the extraordinary ironies of the campaign of Armageddon. But anyway, he takes and he does not bury the false prophet and the Antichrist. He resurrects them and casts them alive into the lake of the fire. They are the first fruits, if you will, of the resurrection of the condemned. And then he takes Satan and confines him to his fifth abode. How many abodes does Satan have? There's six abodes for Satan. The Six Abodes of Satan is one of Arnold Fruchtenbaum's famous works. And now he's going to, during the 75-day interval between the end of the tribulation and the beginning of the Messianic kingdom, he's going to put Satan into his fifth abode, which is the abyss. And that fascinates me because Satan called who out of the abyss during the tribulation period? He called out the Antichrist. The Antichrist is in the abyss right now. What's the obvious question? What's he doing there? Watching cable TV? Playing solitaire? How long has he been there? See, this is a study of Revelation 17, 8, eventually. But Satan is confined to the abyss, and now we have the judgment of the Gentiles, the sheep from the goats, Matthew 25, and then the resurrections of the Old Testament's saints and the tribulational saints and the marriage feast occurs into the millennium, okay? And the 75-day interval will come into play once again as we deal with the meanings of the Babylons. And notice how I say Babylon. I want you to know that Babylons is plural. I have, I have, I have Babylons. 
So the obvious question becomes, what's a Babylon? How many are there? Are they around today? Where is Babylon today geographically? It's in Iraq. We call it what? Baghdad, mostly. Okay. How many Babylons I got? How many of them are literally there? Are any of them symbolic? Are all of them literal? And we have to deal with that. It's a very complex knot to unravel, but unravel it it must because we have to solve the hardness of heart of the Pharaoh in Zechariah 11 and Revelation 17 and 18. And that's where we're headed. What is the relationship between the Babylons, if you want to uh, pose a uh, possibility, between the Babylons and the hardening of the Pharaoh's heart? What's, What's that got to do with anything? Why would the Babylons and the hardening of the Pharaoh's heart be something I would connect? And don't say because you're just weird. Though, it's not a bad answer. Think about it and you'll begin to figure it out. The hardening of the Pharaoh's heart has a relationship to ecclesiastical Babylon. (coughs) In the tribulation. But before we get there, I want to kind of clean up the debris uh, up to and from, because I just added more of it on December the 24th. First, Luke 1.35, King James. You don't get it. This is where King James, by the way, comes through again. You don't get it in most of your other translations. You have to have a King James. This is why I would say to you, get a parallel Bible. Get one that has your favorite translation. As long as it's not the living Bible, I'm not going to throw that big a fuss Uh, If you run into the scholars, they will say to you, don't be NIV positive. But but at least just stay away from the living Bible, frankly, is is what's the word I want? (sighs) Trash comes to mind. Comic book. I know it's easy to read, but they tore apart the Bible to produce that translation. And I would tell you, don't 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 do it. But get a parallel Bible so that you can have your translation. I read from New King James so that the King James people can kind of stay with me. And I, I realize that I'm making a, uh, a compromise sometimes, but it's still okay. In the King James, Gabriel is speaking to Mary. Luke 1.35 went over this uh, on D- December 24th, uh, Isabella's birthday. Some would say that that was Christmas Eve, but it's not. Get to that in a minute. It's Isabella's birthday from now on. Okay. Gabriel is speaking to Mary, Luke one thirty-five, about the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow. He is going to move over the Virgin Mary. This is the incarnation. This is the supernatural conception. This is what we call Gabriel Moss. You think I'm making this up, don't you? Gabriel Moss. Man, I love my new board. Can you read it? Wow, even from the back row, huh? Oh. (laughs) That's just so not. Okay. You gotta accumulate your mosses. You gotta connect all your mosses together. And no, I don't mean Roberto Duranin. That's only for old people there. But you've got to know your mosses and connect your mosses. You have Gabriel Moss, which is the conception. You have Michael Moss, right, which we covered the other day. Whoops, barely spelled Michael Moss. Michael Moss's birth, okay, conception. And then you have Chris Moss. Okay. What is Christmas? Conception is also, Gabriel also came where else? And not only when you, when you get your mosses and you start connecting all your mosses, and as you know, moss means sent, in case you weren't here Christmas Eve. So this is Gabriel sent, Michael sent, Christ sent, is what that is. That's what Christmas means. That's what all of them mean. Uh, so Gabriel comes at the conception or the overshadowing or the hovering or the miracle of the incarnation. Michael... The archangel comes to announce the birth. When did Christ, when was Christ sent, you see? Uh, this also, by the way, as I'm saying, you have to connect all your Gabriels. Where is Gabriel prominent in Scripture? He's not only with Mary and Zacharias, John the Baptist, the conception of Christ, the overshadowing. Where else is he the most prominent in all of Scripture? 
Well, Bobby Moses would be Michael Musk, but you're absolutely right. He comes and interferes with Daniel. Daniel is, is praying, and it is uh, Gabriel that comes and explains, by the way, a great deal of Daniel's prophecy, I believe. And we'll get to that as we get there. But, uh, yes, Michael Musk, he is battling, he's in Jude 9, battling over the body of Moses. So, whenever you start looking at what Gabriel's doing with Mary, you have to go back and see what Gabriel is doing with Daniel. Is it going to be connected? Oh, yeah, baby. You're not going to find out what Michael or what Gabriel's doing with Mary until you understand what he did with Daniel. The same thing is true for Michael. You're not going to understand why Michael shows up with the army of the angelic host. He's got an army with him. Says so. And he shows up to shepherds. Now, you'll have to get the tape as to why he picked shepherds, and that's another story completely, and who the shepherds were and why they were there and what they were thinking when the army of Michael shows up. That's the angelic army of God, Michael the archangel, leading it into what? He's looking for a fight. And then now you connect Jude 9 and you see him battling with Satan, Revelation 12 as well, because he cast Satan out of heaven, right? So connect your Gabriels, connect your Michaels, and where it does, where is Christ sent? And the answer is, if I'm telling you that Christmas is not the conception and Christmas is not the birth What's Christmas? That's right. You're absolutely right. Whoever said it, very impressive. Genesis 1-2. Here's Christmas. Most people say, huh, when I do that. Christmas, Christ sent, just in its very nature, is an extremely difficult concept. In order to understand Christ being sent, he's, he's unusual. What is the... No, that's a bad, bad way of putting it. There is a significant characteristic difference between the sending of Gabriel, the sending of Michael, and the sending of Christ. These two are inside of time. Okay? They're subject to time. This one is God himself, infinite. See, an understanding of Christ's sense, an understanding of Christ's must, means that you are dealing with time and the creator of time, and you have to have an understanding of time. He sees all time in the present tense. Is, have, anybody ever heard of Augustine's Tower? No one taught you Augustine's Tower in Sunday school when you were kids? Augustine uh, said this about God. God is, is in a tower and he sees uh, human beings on a path and he can see the beginning of the path and the end of the path simultaneously. He can also see the wolves and the lions on the path hiding in the bushes to jump out and get you. He's in his tower watching the path at all times. And that was his tower trying to explain how Christ fit into time. How can Christ be in the tower and on the path simultaneously? We call that what? Omnipresence, that's right. He is in the omniscience. He is in the tower and on the path simultaneously. He sees the path from a distance and he's inside the path. How did he do that? Good luck with that. But you have to have an understanding of time to understand when Christ is sent. He was sent. He came, Revelation 13.8. What does Revelation 13.8 say about when he came? When his plan of salvation was designed. When was he sent? Before the foundations of the earth. He was slain from the foundations of the earth, outside of time. So that's why I make the case for Genesis 1-2, and you will all eventually do what? That's right. Agree with me. That's how it works. You don't have to agree with me. It's easier. If you bring really nice food to the buffet, you can disagree with me. I can be bought. Just know that eventually, however, I won. When? Yeah. So, if you want to assign an inside of time time, does that make sense? If you want to, as opposed to an outside of time time, right? If you want to assign an inside of time time to the creator of time, Genesis 1-2 probably is your best place to start. That's why you have to go through life with a really good understanding of the, 
uh, book of Genesis and creation. Anyway, know your mosses. Moss, moss, moss. Gabriel Moss, Michael Moss, Christ Moss, know the difference. Okay, Luke 135, King James. This very important. The Holy Ghost. I'm going to read it out of King James. I wrote it down here because I didn't want to bring two Bibles, two guitars, a bunch of food, and eight sodas. I didn't want to do that. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That's Luke 135, King James, which is very accurate because it calls that which was inside Mary or about to be put inside of Mary by the Holy Spirit. It called that the holy thing. That's very significant because that's what God thinks we can understand. That's about as far as we can get it. It's a holy thing in there. It's a Proverbs 30, verse 4 solution, by the way, because Proverbs 30, verse 4 asks that great question of the Old Testament. And that question is, who can know the name of the second person of the triune God? We know the first person. We know that is God. We call it God the Father. They don't. The Hebrews don't. They call it the Lord God, the angel of God, and the Spirit of God. But what is the name of the second person? The second person, the angel of God, wasn't known. Now we know, and because of Gabriel Moss, we know the name of the second person of the triune Godhead, and that name is what? Jesus would be a English uh, interpretation, an English pronunciation of a Hebrew word that means what? Salvation. The name of the second person is Yeshua, which means salvation. Every time you see the word Jesus in your Bible, you feel free to cross it out and write in big capital letters, salvation. Just like you would write Y-H-V-H in capital letters, and it's the, in, the, in our English translated Bibles, it is capital L-O-R-D. That usually means the uh, tetragrammaton or the ineffable name of God. You can do the same thing with Yeshua. And I wanted to repeat holy thing for a couple of reasons. The, the primary reason, it is the first, it is the greatest of the eleven mysteries of God. He gives us 11 mysteries to deal with. It is the first and it is the greatest. It is uh, 1 Timothy 3.16 and it cannot be understood by us. We are not going to understand God manifested in the flesh. It is a mystery. It is an extraordinary. It is a holy thing. But we're going to be held accountable of it for it. We're stewards. He tells us that, 1 Corinthians 4.1. When you get to heaven in front of Christ, he is going to ask you, were you a good steward of the holy thing, of the mystery of the incarnation, of the mystery of the Word made flesh, of the mystery of God manifested in the flesh, the humanity of God? Are you a good steward of that doctrine? Were you? Did you even know it? As you're going to get a test, you'll, you'll be there. There'll be millions of us. And you get a piece of paper, write everything you know about the holy thing. The first mystery. Be prepared. I try to have a definition of, of stewardship. It's the keeper of the truth of the holy thing is the best I can do. He gave you the truth. You have the truth of the holy thing. You know it. You don't know very much about it, but you have to know something. And you have to do what with it? You have to say, hey, look what I got here. I got the truth of the holy thing here. I don't know a lot about it, but I know it's a holy thing. And I know it's really complicated. And I have to protect what's true about it. So we must be stewards. And we can start by knowing what we don't know. That's the best way to be a steward of the holy thing. As opposed to the, the thing that you say to your teenage sons, you know, you don't know and you don't know that you don't know, right? I like to be like Secretary Donald Rumsfeld. And he had that famous thing, and I've said it before, and I just love repeating it. So I'm going to give it to you again, because here's where it goes. It fits really well here. Donald Rumsfeld is talking about the holy thing when he said this. First thing I said is this man is a theologian. He's not, really. He's talking about the war in Iraq. But you could take what he said and apply it to the holy thing, and it's incredible. It fits just beautifully. 
And so I, I always want to do it every Christmas now because of that. There are no knowns, Rumsfeld said. There are no knowns. These are the things we know. There are known unknowns. That is to say, these are the things that we know we don't know. And there are unknown unknowns. These are things we don't know we know. Donald Rumsfeld summed up perfectly, as I said, the holy thing. Luke 135, the mystery of godliness. 1 Timothy 3.16. And so we can begin to unravel this holy thing mystery with the things we know we don't know. Because that's the best way to approach it, I believe. Rumsfeld also said, look for what's missing. Everybody can see what's there. Everybody can complain about what's there. People can correct what's there. But you be the one that looks for things that are missing. That's what he wanted. And he didn't want a people that could complain and tell him what was wrong about what was there. He wanted people to tell him what was missing. Few are able to see what is missing, he said. So by combining both principles, progress can be made on the holy thing thing. <coughs> we don't know how the triune God sent the second person, the Son, Proverbs 34. We don't know how it happened. We don't know how the triune God added humanity inside of time while being the I am outside of time. We don't know. We don't know the process. We don't know the individual steps, the anatomy. We don't know how he did it. We do know. A lot of whys. So you don't know how. As a steward, you say to people, is the holy thing, I don't know how. Bill and I talk about all the time predestination and free will. Somehow God's omniscience doesn't affect your free will because we have accountability. How does it work? Well, our we know it works. We can figure out why. Same thing here. We can know the whys. The whys are pretty pretty clear. The sacrificial system, the typology, the symbolism of the slain of all of these innocent animals. The Passover typology, the Passover symbolism, the slaying of the lamb on the 14th day after you've had it for four days, you cut its throat and you hold it up and say it is finished, and then you put the blood on the outside of the door and death passes you over. We can see the why there. We can see why he did it, because he gives us a lot of whys, and that system explains many of the whys. Then we know the judicial legalities. If Jeff wasn't in Homer, he'd be standing up saying, it's going to be a trial, and we're going to be tried, and everyone's going to be tried, and our defense is going to be what? We're covered in blood. And that's good. And then the medical necessity. We need to be covered in blood. How come? Our blood's crud. It kind of runs. I should write that. Never mind. He'll disappear. We need new blood. Our blood is corrupted. We need new flesh. He's pouring his blood and his flesh inside of us. That's communion service. That's the candlelight service. You got all of that. There's a physical component, the body, and he is going to fix it, isn't he? So we get the wise from that. We get the wise from Genesis 3.15. He must be the seed of the woman. He's going to confront the seed of the serpent. We get the Adamic typology. And we get a lot of whys from all of those, but, uh, but first and foremost, it's revelatory of how he thinks and how he functions and what he wants to do and how it glorifies him, okay? That's one of the whys, probably the most important why. There, now that's going to clean up a little of the holy thing um, for now, but we're going to get back to it as weeks to come. Uh, come. But we have the, uh, we have to do other things today. This is kind of a, uh, a contemporary sermon. And contemporary sermons, I give you three things, because not everybody's interested in the holy thing. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you don't raise your hands, but how many of you don't raise your hands, but how many of you are interested in the holy thing? Don't raise your hand. Typically, it's going to be about maybe ten of you. It's really funny. You know, Bonnie came up to me. And uh, after the uh, Christmas Eve service, which no one could hear me, and I didn't have. Shouldn't we have some kind of music when I point? Don't you expect? I know I do. I have to. I have to have a foot pedal. But uh, 
I had people tell me, oh, I didn't care a bit about that holy thing stuff. Couldn't care less. Well, when you start talking about physics, now I'm in there, baby. And so I have, I have my holy thing for my holy thing people. I have my physics for my physics people. And today we have a little Antichrist stuff for the Antichrist stuff people. Revelation 17, 8, and 18, the Babylonians, or the ba- I'm sorry, the Babylons. So i, I got to do all of that because I want to go back and pick up Pharaoh in a way that makes sense. And by the way, if I have the seed of the woman and I have the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the woman is a holy thing that we can, cannot understand, uh, how's the seed of the serpent thing going? Don't yell, Rosemary's baby. But how did the seed of the... Notice how I said that past tense. That's Revelation 17.8. How did the seed of the serpent, the Antichrist, how, when and how was the Antichrist born? Notice I said past tense, Revelation 17.8. I'm not saying the Antichrist is going to be born. I'm saying the Antichrist has been born, Revelation 17.8. How did that happen? Exactly. How did that happen? We can't understand how the Christ was born. How many of you are prepared to say that you understand how the Antichrist was born? How is it that I get a seed of a spirit being that's a cherubim? Have you ever read what a cherubim looks like? He's in Ezekiel. You'll see examples of what cherubim look like in Ezekiel. How many wings they got? That's seraphim. Don't ever confuse your cherubim with your seraphim. Hey, how many heads he got? Oh, I shouldn't say heads. Faces. How many faces he got? See, one of these days, and it was my great dream for Christopher to be an artist, and um, and he may still someday be an artist, is that I wanted him to to draw biblically correct artwork. We'd we'd make no money at all because. Churches aren't interested in it. They want pictures of very attractive white men pretending to be Jesus. It really fascinates me. I just no, it doesn't. It bothers me a great deal when they say, "Well, that guy looks like Jesus." No, he doesn't. He looks like Leonardo DiCaprio or something. He doesn't look like Jesus. Was what? A very short, ugly Jewish man who is probably physically very powerful. And, of course, he is omnipotent, which makes him spiritually the power. All the power. He is all the power. You don't have any. I don't have any. But he made himself, he hid himself in a very unattractive, he did not look like a Hollywood depiction. And I really want to have the just a hideous-looking guy and go around and say, here's a picture of Christ. Church, church. How many buy it? I sell any of them? No, I had a lot of fun. Take down that one and put up this one. I would be right, Isaiah. 53. Being right. Blue asked me the other day, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? That's very profound. He was talking about marriage. All you young guys figure that out. (laughs) Wisdom comes with, with time. Okay. How did the Antichrist happen exactly? Well, again, we're going to know some of the whys, but we're not going to know the the hows. But remember, this is also the mystery of the man of sin. I would expect the mystery of number 8, 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 9, to be very difficult. And you've heard me go through it, but I'd expect the mystery of how the Antichrist came into uh, humanity, how that happened in a sense that I have an angelic being, fallen, but angelic being, and I must have a seed, I must be a human seed somehow. I know that's going to be a mystery just like mystery number one is going to be a mystery. We, as I said, we may also know who the Antichrist is. And I'm going to tell you, I'm convinced that I know who the Antichrist is. That's wisdom, Revelation 13:18. I think that some have solved the who question, and I am going with them. I think I can name the name of the Antichrist. I believe I can do it. Of equal importance to that, though, solving the who, it's uh, useful to know the known knowns in order to solve the known unknowns, okay? That's where we get into Revelation 17, 8. 
That gets us into the Babylons, which is where we are today. You need to know Babylons. How many Babylons are there? And how many Babylons are there? Can I get rid of the blessing of the 1335th day? Okay, you've got to know your blessing of the 1335th day. Are any of you going to make it to the blessing of the 1335th day? None of you will. So, don't worry about it. The reason it's a blessing is everybody that got through the tribulation goes into the millennium and is what? Saved for all eternity. That's correct. That's why it's a blessing. But i got three Babylon. I have what's called ecclesiastical. Ecclesiastical. <laughs> Nobody. I have ecclesiastical Babylon. And then I have economic Babylon. That's the one that Mike got up here before me and said, Hey, we're... We're living in a pretty interesting time, and you better pay attention. We are interested, living in a pretty interesting time, and you better pay attention. Things are going to happen fast. I, w- I went to bed one night, got up the next day, and the Berlin Wall had fallen, and that stunned me. I went, the Berlin Wall fell. The Soviet Union broke apart. I believe, and I'll say this later, that we're seeing the beginning of ecclesiastical and economic Babylon. Okay? Then we also have governmental Governmental Babylon. So we have those three Babylons. So you have to know which Babylon are we talking about? Are they the same Babylon? The answer is obviously no. I keep saying there's three of them. What is the difference between ecclesiastical Babylon, economic Babylon, and governmental Babylon? Now some will add scientific Babylon. And they get that from Romans 1.22 and the scoffers of Second Peter uh, 3. Uh, 2 Peter 3, I don't have the verses, sorry. But I don't think that you can add um, a scientific Babylon. We do have a very, very interesting scientific community now. It is very, very active in economics and religion. Very active. And very biased in the way it approaches things now. And that's why I'll say to you that scientific Babylon really is a religious issue now. There's some economics to it. The economic uh, issue is using the religion of the scientific. So I'll put them into ecclesiastical. um, And what I mean by ecclesiastical is religious. I have a religious Babylon. I have a Babylon that controls what everybody buys and sells. You're all familiar with that, right? In Revelation, that's the what? That's the mark of the beast. You don't get to buy anything, you don't get to sell anything, unless you have the mark of the beast. That's economic control. This is religious control. This is military control, if you will, or governmental control. Now, science... Yes? Okay. Okay, I can skip now, page... uh, But he's absolutely right, because Satan is a is a counterfeiter and he has to have if you heard him he's talking about the satanic triad the counterfeit that cannot be a triune I I won't get into it exactly now where is it oh there it is on the next page I thought you couldn't hear (laughs) that's very good though by the way okay Atheism, which is what the scientific community is now, is... Uh, and, and here, I'll say something, and well, you guys have been wonderful. I, I'll do things that I think bores you absolutely to tears, and you will come back and give me all kinds of wonderful things that you have found all over, either on the Internet or in different books, and that's really great, and I appreciate it very much. I would say to you one thing, though, really quickly. When you get something off the Internet, look and see who wrote it. Most of the time, it isn't the scientific community. It'll look like scientific community writing, but it's not. It'll be the atheists that wrote it. And it is not scientific, and it's not been peer-reviewed, and it is almost out of hand. You just find that that the Internet is just smeared with that. And so when you give me those things, that's the first thing I do, is I go and look and see who wrote it and find out if they have any scientific validity at all or if they're simply an atheistic society. And that's the problem, is that... 
is that atheism and science has become commingled. And atheism is religion. It, as you know, decays into hedonism. It becomes the worship of oneself. The reason for that is they believe they secede, or they, I'm sorry, they, there's a cessation of existence to them. They don't believe they have a spirit. They don't believe they have a soul. When they die, they're going to cease to exist. So if I'm going to cease to exist, the only thing that I should do in the meantime is fulfill myself. Self-worship, ultimately. Everything is about me. It's all about me. If you don't think it's about me, it's about me. And if you're tired of hearing about me, let's talk about me. That's hedonism. Worship of self, ultimately. And that's how they get into ecclesiastical Babylon. It's obvious to me how easy it will be for the Antichrist to deceive the scientific community into worshiping him as God. They're predisposed to do so. They just don't know it. The scientists will rush to destruction. Now, I hope you begin to see how this is all fitting together. I have mystery number one, the holy thing. I have mystery number eight, the counterfeit holy thing. I have mystery number nine, which is mystery Babylon the Great. And I have mystery number ten, the real mystery, which is the bride of Christ or the church, right? So that's where we're at here. Now to all of that, I'm going to add physics. Maybe not today. I would like to. Going to try. We have a lot of dispute about the Babel, about mystery Babylon stuff. So let's, uh, and the various denominations quarrel about them. I'm going to say to you without equivocation that Babylon the Great, the ninth, this is the ninth of the eleven mysteries. How many mysteries have I covered so far? I've covered them all, but, but today I've got four of them. I've got the eighth, the ninth, the first, and the tenth. Okay? Mystery Babylon, man of sin, incarnation, bride of Christ, church. I want you to begin to put those together. And I'll say without equivocation that Babylon the Great, the ninth of the eleven mysteries, is a counterfeit triad, which is what Mike is saying. As with the Satan, Antichrist, false prophet. See, Babylon corresponds to that triad. See, he cannot be the triune God. He can't be inside of time and outside of time. He can't be three persons that are one. He's three persons that are three. He's three parts. He's not one three persons that are the whole. He's three parts of a whole. He has a counterfeit, a triad. And Babylon is also a triad, and it is a counterfeit, so to speak. I would expect it to be three partitions, a religious control, a government military force, and an economic control. Now, the economic control ultimately becomes what? What do I control economically? What's the focus? What, what was this country just a hundred years ago economically? Well, what was it based? What do we call the base of this country 50 years ago? What were most jobs in? What did we buy the most? Go back 200 years. What is all we bought? Agriculture. Food. Hey, if I control food... And I control water, and I control shelter. What I got? I got control. They're, they're killing people in the in the southern parts of California by shutting the water off to what? Their farms. Who's doing that? Who? What insane person would shut the water off to the most pure, fertile ground in all of California? Who would do that? What kind of the government did it. Why? Yeah, small fish. Is it really about small fish? No, it's a what? It's a religious deal. And you begin to see the religion and the government and the economic begin to assert itself. And we're watching this happen. See, Satan would be very well aware of how a physical, spiritual life is dependent. See, he knows how we are. He knows that we are a mind, a consciousness, a spirit, a soul, and we're also a physical animation of that mind. He understands how we're made. And he understands that we are made to be dependent. We're dependent on food, air, and water. Why did God do that? Because God calls himself the bread of life. You'll hunger no more. He calls himself the breath of life. He calls himself living water. You'll thirst no more. He says that uh, he, 
he puts us under the shadow, the protection of his wings. He gives us shelter. He has many mansions in his father's house. You, you hear all of those food, water, air, shelter references all through the New Testament. And Satan can't duplicate it, so he comes up instead with this counterfeit. He does what he always does. He has a lie, he has a deception, he has a counterfeit, and he leads billions of people to destruction. Okay. See how I finish on time when I have my, uh, boom, boom. I'm going to throw some stuff at you. i got five minutes, three seconds to go. I don't know what to do. I have some soda. Did it seem like it went fast? Wow, you're really getting weird. You're starting to... But thanks for telling me that. Okay. If I could flip this over, and I can't. I can't. Here's what I'll do. Next week, I have to give you the definitions of these rudimentary elements, the first principles and their definitions. You know quasi-steady-state creation. You know what that is, right? If I put quasi-steady-state creation up here... Yes, what is quasi-steady-state creation? Thank you. She did a really good job on the bongo drums today, didn't she? Yes, she did. Were you scared because your grandparents were here? No. You just asked them for money, don't you? Quasi-steady-state creation. Quasi, sorry. Quasi. Quasi-steady-state creation is a universe position that says this. The universe had no beginning or end, but has always existed and would continue to exist. After our Christmas Eve service, I had this discussion with a few people about how big is the universe to God. How big is the universe to God? Okay, I'm going to say that the universe is this big to God. And he's watching, the, you think Augustine's tower now, he's watching the universe rotate. By the way, he made it to rotate, I'll prove that to you in a minute with cosmic background radiation. Okay, not this week, next week. But he's watching the universe rotate. Now, that's a really interesting thing, God watching the universe rotate. Because what do I ask next? Next. What's it rotating in? So you have to have a definition of what? Because you're going to say it's rotating in what? And you're going to define space as what? Nothing. So you have to be able to define nothing. That's very important, and that makes you a quantum physicist. Have fun with that. Okay, the quasi-steady-state creation universe has no beginning or end, See, because they know that if you say it has a beginning and you say it has an end, then you've got it rotating into something that's bigger than it. And if you have something that's bigger than it, what are you going to call that? I'm going to define nothing for you. Ready? Come on, you can do it. What's nothing? <laughs> if, if, if God is watching the universe rotate inside of something, what's it rotating inside of? Let me ask you better. Who is it rotating inside Okay, there you go. Thank you. This, that's why the quasi-steady-state creationists have to say there's no beginning, there's no end, the universe has always existed, always continue to exist. They hate the Big Bang. They're the rival to the Big Bang because the Big Bang presupposes what? I got a beginning. Something had to light it off. Bang. Right? Out of infinite, out of infinite density, out of a particle that is this big. Can you see it? Good. Out of a particle that is that big, infinite density exploded and created all matter. That's the Big Bang uh, cosmology, okay? Big Bang presupposes what? A beginning. So you can see where the quasi-steady-state creationists, they don't want a beginning. They don't want a beginning, because if i got a beginning, what have I got? Oh, i got Genesis 1-1, baby. i got a beginner. i got somebody that caused a beginner. And so that's not acceptable to the cessation of existence people that are the evolutionary Atheists. Okay. I'm going to throw the terms out. One minute, four seconds. Necrosis. Doc, what's necrosis mean? Hmm? Cell death. you got to be fast here, Doc. 
I have necrosis versus what, doctor? What do I got? I got apoptosis, right? Did I pronounce that right? Apoptosis? See, death is ne- necrosis, necro- uh, necrosis. I can't even say all the words. But necrosis, death, that's versus the shedding of skin. You see, I have death and I have the shedding of skin. And the difference between, this is going to bring insects and invertebrates into the discussion. This is going to bring Nephish Kalyag in, living soul, second law of thermodynamics. Next week we'll get all of those physics all set up. 17 seconds to go. I did great. Musicians come sneaking forward. I'll finish it off here in a second. But I want you to know there's a holy thing out there. You're not going to understand it. The best you're going to do is hold on to what you can and share it with others. And the sooner you get up to speed on that, the better your family will be. The happier your kids will be. You don't know how many times I have parents come to me and say, my kids are gone. They're gone. And I say, well, you got to get in a discussion about quasi-steady-state creation with them. What are we going to do downstairs? We have the lovely Jenna battling down there right now, hand-to-hand combat, mostly with Troy's kids. <laughs> this will be the... How many, how many Sunday school teachers have we lost so far this year, John? 30, 35? Kids are tough. But we're gonna we're gonna put into our Sunday school program all of this physics. All of it. We want those kids to come out understanding physics. Bring your kids to Cliffside Community Chapel. Learn uh, nuclear fusion, cosmic back, background radiation, electrocentricity. Learn that. Learn what nothing is. Because that's what God is. Let's rise and be the smith. Our song is uh, Our song is Your You Are God Alone, page one oh one.